2: I have no introduction for this, Josh Brown. I stayed up until 2am getting through Final Fantasy 7 but Haven't finished it yet. How are you feeling?
3: That's two 2am 2 nights in a row for you. <laughs> why? You are going to be a dad in a month. You're not wrong. I'll tell you why. So I need to
2: make the most of it right now. Although in theory, the child would keep me up until 2, 3 in the morning. So maybe it's training.
3: Great point. If you Thank can you. train your brain right now to just kind of stay up for most of the night when the child needs you, yeah. you'll just be gaming anyway. Yeah. So you can just pop in the next room. But unfortunately, what if you're in a game you can't pause? What if you play it online? Uh,
2: Oh, maybe there are certain things more important than the online game, unless it's Helldivers 2, in which case that child can wait.
3: Did you see um, that mad Bradley Cooper quote <laughs> going around on <laughs> no? Twitter? Where he was getting I mean, I've been fascinated with Bradley Cooper, not to Why? immediately derail this thing. I he love just, his new movie where he's an old man. He just keeps saying weird stuff. Right. He keeps saying really strange things um, on Bradley press Quota. tour uh-huh. for Maestro. The other day he was like, <laughs> my kid, you know, we, when it was first born, I don't, I don't think I loved it for, uh, for a long <laughs> time. You he was like, if someone came in with a gun, I don't think I'd die for it. <laughs> I was like, Bradley, you don't have to say everything that comes in no, your brain. Don't, don't. I kind of respected the madness of it, though. I
2: don't, yeah, I didn't see that. I need to see the full context for that. Not that there's that many other ways you can give that full context. But um, yeah, I did see that quote. It's, um, pray tell I'm not Bradley Cooper if such a scenario <laughs> happens. But um, yeah, I, I tell you, this is the UBP, the UBP. The, the UBP. UBP. The Entitled Banner Podcast, of which an intro I have done in reverse, but it doesn't matter, because that's Josh Brown. Hello, Scott Selford. Hello, where we get through. Many questions, talking points, etc. That people have submitted. Um, I did want to say though, in regards to sleep, before I get to everyone's lovely questions, I find that I sleep better. This is maybe such a stupid thing to say. I sleep better, and I enjoy sleep more when I've stayed up later the previous night. Like I like a good long sleep as much as the next person, but I used to stay up until one, two, three in the morning every night, yeah. and then get about six hours on average, five hours on average, and I would be out like a light, but I would sleep all the way through. wasn't tossing and turning. I'd get up, it would be a living hell, but I'd get on with my day, and I'd stay up until. <laughs> about 3am again now you can argue that's not very healthy but I think I was happier and I did it I did it again or I've been doing it again with Helldivers and Final Fantasy and Infinite Wealth in, in like in a row Um, and I'm, I'm kind of loving it I was so yeah. out like a light this morning and I, my vision's a bit blurry right now but I had a lovely time <laughs> and I'm just thinking like is this what sleep is supposed to be you're supposed to be like out like a light as opposed to you go bed at a reasonable time and I yeah. just toss and turn it's 4am it's 5am I'm tossing and turning mm. I, I could have been gaming
3: no that is interesting because I think a lot of people have you know obviously different sleep patterns Mm. but some people can oversleep very easily my Mm. partner she always oversleeps if she like even just goes to sleep until like nine o'clock in the morning or something, <laughs> she'll wake up and she's like, that's my day ruined, I've right. overslept. And I'm like, that's interesting because I can sleep until 2 p.m. and not oversleep. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I will say though, it, when I was off for four months, right, you would think that because I wasn't doing anything, I would have the best, mm-hmm. most relaxing sleep ever. Those were some of the worst sleeps because I wasn't doing anything during the day. You not yourself out. And I hadn't tidied myself out and it took me ages to get to sleep. Usually I go, I hit the pillow and I'm gone in five minutes. Right. for whatever reason across those four months it was like an hour you hit the floor an hour and a half I was born on Valentine one certainly did the the, the tears did fall (laughs) and they crashed around me (laughs) only tune I know Um, but the point is yeah it was was a strange realisation of hmm, maybe I need work to knacker me out so I can do that magic trick of falling asleep in 30 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> I always
2: thought, right? This is the weirdest thing. When you're, and I don't mean to ruin everyone's day or night, as they're listening to this, yet. but I always find that it's weird going, when you're aware of going to sleep. Like, oh, it's yeah. almost like welcoming death. Like, <laughs> cause you're just like, I always what? think, because you're lying there going like, well, at some point I'm going to shut off. Yeah. Like, I'm going to, it's going to end and I'm just going d- <laughs> to, you're just going to wake up in the morning again. Like, I think it's weird voluntarily shutting off your consciousness. Like, and I, I if you're sh- tired enough, you won't really think about it. Yeah. But m- sometimes, like, I, it's more during sure the pandemic where everything collapsed in regards to mental proceeds anyway. Yes. But um, there was just that thing of like, lying on a, on a pillow late at night going like, well, I should be asleep. Am I asleep yet? No, I'm not asleep yet. Am I tired enough? I don't know. And then just being aware of it and being like, okay, am I, can I can I make this happen? Like, I wish we had a manual sleep switch. Yeah. I wish we could just click a button and go to sleep. That'd
3: be oh, way sin. easier. Yeah, like an open world or survival game <laughs> where it's like, I'm going to wait for six hours. A little melody and plays in the off. background, yeah. That's interesting. I wonder if that's linked to your thing of not liking doing nothing as well, <laughs> like lying on the couch and doing nothing, which is my favorite thing to It's not that I don't.
2: Well, yeah, I would never do nothing at all. There we go. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, I have a whole thing about passive entertainment where if I'm watching movie, I'll be itching for a game, or or something with my hands, guitar, whatever, unless it's a really, really, really good movie or
3: TV show. Anyway. No, no, I want to add one more thing to this, Yes, and I've already forgotten it, so this segue (laughs) is completely pointless. (laughs) Um, No, I've I've never thought that, and I'm really interested to see if other people do, like, the Mm. turning your consciousness off thing, because I always think of dreaming as, like, my consciousness continues, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I don't know why, but ever since, I've always, like, dreamt, but, like, since I've been on this medication, especially, like, the dreams were vivid, Right. so I was, like, looking forward to sleeping, Mm. to see what dreams were going to come up because some of them were scary I used some to of them love were that. lovely
2: yeah when I was younger I used to love dreaming I used to love the idea of um, or I still kind of like the idea of lucid dreaming it's like before VR was true yeah. like it feels like lucid dreaming was the nearest you could get to a lifelike video game that you can control and I was like well I can't fly in real life Maybe if I, and when I was a kid I was like if I dream about it hard enough yeah. I'll dream yeah. that I'm Superman
3: and I can fly around never happened never, no. never give me that it was always
2: like oh you're on a playground and here's the bullies again it was never
3: what you want my brain started to trick myself right. uh, because it knows I can sort of see the Matrix over the past (laughs) year or something. um, I've always been able to, well, not always, but kind of been able to recognize when I'm in a dream. So if something bad happens and it feels real, in the narrative of my head, I go, oh, don't worry, it's just a dream. And I had one of those dreams the other night where th- everything was going mm. wrong, and I had the epiphany of, oh, not to worry, it's a dream. And then I <laughs> woke up, but I woke up inside another dream, and then I was like, oh, no, it was real. No, no, josh Seption. No. It tricked me, and then I woke up for real. So it was a dream inside a dream, and I was like... You bastard That's nightmarish, yeah. How have you done that to me? How have you gotten past my <laughs> firewall? What Chris are you Nolan. you up to? Chris
2: <laughs> Nolan's sitting to the side with a, a mind control device. Um, but yeah, we'll get through as many questions as we can. One from Mouse Hands, who says, no question this week, just want to send some love and support to Josh for going through therapy and Aww. taking a flight. Shout out to everyone who takes mental health seriously. Everyone deserves to be happy, healthy, and have their voices heard. Let's make 2024 a great year. I just wanted to echo that as loudly as possible. Man's about to do his little flight on Sunday. That's a it's lovely be surprise. Lovely.
3: Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm crapping bricks. Scott. Uh, you I, get free peanuts, mate. Every day I go to my partner, I'm like, I want a flight this weekend, you know? And yeah. she's like, I'm sick of hearing about it. I'm like, shut up. I, I don't care. Every, I'm, flying away, I, I, you, yeah, I'm flying away from you. I'm flying away from you. No, it should be okay. The fact that it's. um. I've not completely broken down is an improvement. I I, I can't say I'm 100% well, but it is an interesting marker to Mm -hmm. look at where I was last year and now where I am now. And I think that's always important to put things in perspective Mm -hmm. because you might never get 100% there, Mm -hmm. but you're always hopefully moving whether it's up or down.
2: Yeah, I think as well, which is good for a plane. You don't you want to go up first. Yeah, you, you first, <laughs> anyway, do. I um I think you should do the thing that you talk about, um, where you channel things through art and expression and creativity, and have mm. maybe some sort of journal, maybe some sort of note-taking exercise, maybe something like that that'll ground your thoughts in a way that yeah. would get you through that process of at least getting up in the air, well, and then you can enjoy the view. It's
3: funny you should say that. I actually, well, i had my set on the wind up, had my first therapy session mm. this week, and got some uh things some homework as she described it to do That right. is very similar so i might take them along and uh at the very least even if it doesn't help me i'll chart those thought yeah, processes man. be able to take them back to her next week mm-hmm. made an immediate mistake by the way i uh i don't want to tell the taxi driver story actually but i accidentally <laughs> phoned jules gill and he thought i was getting um, killed because the taxi driver was swearing maybe we should wait him.
2: jules can do his side of that story yeah. when he returns to the ubp because <laughs> i have not even talked to jules about this yet but some sort of um what do you what do you Americans even call it butt dialing. <laughs> but dialing, when you butt yeah. dial someone, but you did it, and then there was too much noise, and Jules thought you were being killed. You so did, that's, yeah. That's I was
3: it, was. it was just a lovely conversation with a taxi driver, <laughs> but it was a it was like a sweary, jolly taxi driver, and Jules is like, you alright, man? <laughs> I just heard someone swear, and he sounded like he was having a go at yeah, you, and I was like, no! I was in therapy while this happened. Anyway, what yes. was the point of the story? Can't remember. The point is, uh, I hope was good. Yes. Therapy, working on stuff. You said you'd made a mistake
2: so far, but I don't know what that was. Um, you said you did something right. It wasn't not buying tech in it. We know about that one. It wasn't not buying
3: Taking it. I no. can't remember what the mistake was, Scott Tilford. That's fair enough. It doesn't really matter. Maybe I'll have to work on that as well. Maybe
2: <laughs> maybe it'll be saved up by your subconsciousness. Question from HP Buncraft, who says, Hello, Scott and Josh. I created an X account so I could ask the UBP this. I never go back to single-player games after finishing them. Do you have any single-player games that you feel are worth playing or still worth playing after completing them? Not replay, but continuing to explore the world. That's a very key oh, distinction That here.
3: is a key distinction, because I was going to say something completely different Without that. Same, like, I was going to...
2: Yeah, I'm gonna the ones where I want to go back and just live in the world more. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go with of Sushma mainly because of how I played that game, and I didn't... I was doing some of the question mark stuff, doing some of the random points on the map, but I loved um, the whole idea of just being the ghost of Sushima by the end of that game and just just looking after everyone, like dipping in, sort of making sure all the civilians are okay, being the the Batman of that island kind of thing. Um, I, most of the time, I find that most games give you that last save thing. Yeah. Um, God of War was a really good one, um, God of War Ragnarok, where I just liked mopping stuff up. Um, I have one at the minute. Um... Which is tied to a thing. It's in uh, Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth. Um, but I'm kind of going to wait. So I'm going to wait a little bit until people have played a bit more of that game. They put something in the trailers for that game that gave away a major plot beat in regards to Kazuma Kiryu and what's happening with him. So it's technically not a spoiler, okay. whatever. I would still be annoyed if I knew it beforehand right. but one of my favourite ones of these is in that game but it fundamentally relies on a spoiler so I'm going to give it a few weeks <laughs> and at some point me and you will talk about it maybe it's cool. on the winder maybe it's on uh, the UBP or whatever that game's phenomenal but there's something in there that reminds me of that do you have any
3: game worlds you want to live in? You know what I used to have loads and actually first off thank you for making an X account and joining that hellscape to uh, yeah. uh, ask us the question I just, d- it's just very nice it's, v- it's a very that. nice
2: reason to do it it is yeah, isn't it make sure you disconnect every day
3: very much appreciated yeah, just don't um, do anything else thank you very much Hopefully, these uh, answers will satisfy yeah. us. <laughs> we'll, we'll make it all worthwhile. Anyways, yes. um, I used to do it all the time, but I don't do it much... At all anymore. Like when I was younger, I remember like just jumping into Crackdown, Mm. especially to just you know mess around in that world for a little bit, blow up a load of cars, see how much (laughs) anarchy I could cause. Grand Theft Auto, of course, just living in those worlds and going in for a hit. I Mm. still do that sometimes now, where I'll jump in GTA Five or jump into GTA Online to see how my custom characters up. What what's he up to in his apartment? (laughs) I don't know. Drive around the streets. He's changing his clothes by himself again. He certainly has. He's singing in the shower, (laughs) which is very you know realistic actually. Um, But these days, now the way I play games is I like to mop up all of that side stuff before I finish the main campaign. So it's actually very rare that I go back to a game just to exist in the world. Honestly, the only one I've done it with recently is Spider-Man because the swinging is so good and sometimes I just like a hit of that. But otherwise, I like to kind of almost complete the game before I complete the game these days.
2: I'm way too spoiler-phobic. i am definitely got that at the minute with Final Fantasy Rebirth where I'm like, I need to get to the end because I need to see what this big story scene is and I need to know what you guys have done. So we've talked loads about like how much you divert time between main stuff and side stuff Yeah, and I can't do too much side stuff um, because I'm too aware that I'm not progressing the main story and maybe I'll I'll see a spoiler somewhere.
3: That makes sense though. Which is
2: like yeah in this case it's it's the thing that's been talked about. I
3: think the difference is now that it's not like games are cheaper in fact they're more expensive now mm. obviously but there's so much access to games and there's such a variety of game pricing that there's always something for me to play. Obviously I have mm. more money now than I did when I was 15 16 when <laughs> I had no money but uh-huh. even just the introduction of like a Game Pass or a PlayStation Plus mm-hmm. means that if I have those subscriptions there are literally thousands of games vying for my attention. You know, we talked about this yesterday. The media bandwidth that you have now is so <laughs> bottlenecked, I find. Yeah, so it, I find it harder to justify going back to a game for just to mess around when I when I know there's probably something else that I kind of mm. want to get to. And just personally, my, my, my drive to stay in a game world now just weirdly finishes once the main story's complete it feels wrapped up there are a few exceptions like a Bethesda RPG for mm. instance that I will go back it's kind of impossible to do everything in those games before yeah. you finish it off but it goes to Sushima you know we, we've said before I pretty much finished everything and then did the final mission yeah, yeah
2: I like a, a main thread it depends how it's done like, I like the idea of a main the final main mission being the bow on that entire experience and you're watching the credits going like that with Thanos style that was good like yeah. I'm, I'm breathing that in um, but also like certain stories are told in a way where you do the Main stuff and that reinforces why you then live in that world. And I remember in Ragnarok's case, like I mentioned before, like the, the state the Kratos ends up in, it makes sense that you would then go out and do as much as you could kind of thing. But it's also weird because as a player you have to you have to choose when you're done. And yeah. it's like there's no like final state then you're just mopping stuff up, being like, Well I think the realm's in a good place. I'm gonna step back and just kinda leave it. Which in a way metatextually works for where his brain
3: is at. Yes. But
2: um but I, still,
3: yeah. I think it I think this question is really interesting as well in the context of live service games, which rely on people coming back just for another hit, just to explore a little bit more, to grind a little bit more, to kind of check in and do your Mm. dailies. That kind of loop has never resonated with me, which is probably why I'm a little bit harsher on live service games, because once I've kind of finished the bulk of the main content or Mm. like the main side missions... What, like, why would I go back to Suicide Squad for me personally just to grind out some more mi- mm. missions to replay, uh, to grind out some more weapons to replay missions I've already done. It's kind of why mm-hmm. I fell off. I love my time with the original Division, but immediately fell off once I finished uh, credits and didn't do the dark zone or anything.
2: I did want to mention, because someone, this is a, a question that we got, which is perfect for this, from uh, Dahi, who said, considering the success of Hell Divers 2, what idea would you come up with for a community-driven, emergent, real-time storyline? Oh. Which is the thing is, like, I think that's the, the secret sauce to me, because one of the reasons Helldivers 2 is doing so well is that feeling of, like, you're just one decimal point percentage uh, contributing to this overall storyline and you see bits of it on screen it's like this planet is being taken over because you and millions of other people all fought the automatons at once or the bugs at once or whatever and um during the week you had arrowhead reveal that they do have a dungeon master they have a dm um, a member of staff i think he's called joel or jack or something um who is literally in charge of reinforcing the planets or changing some of the storylines or unleashing certain set pieces on on the global audience and i was like that's effing awesome yeah man why is that why was that not a standard thing for so many live services because um, the live service storytelling side of it we haven't really had the two married yet um, and I always thought it was weird when you were in a multiplayer game and they make you all watch the same cutscene Yeah. because I'm just like it's just a weird thing having like a storytelling device in a multiplayer thing but doing it through gameplay is great and like right now the Helldivers community or the Helldivers players know about what it felt like to lose a planet like last week like yes. Malevolon um, Creek or whatever it's called and we all fought in that battle quote-unquote, we all lost in that battle, and we have, like, a story. There's a weird, like, narrative reason there. Yeah. Um And it's just great, and it's, like, knowing that they're in control of that, and they have all these... Set, they said they have set pieces lined up, they have all these things ready to go, based on how people perform, how the story goes in a wider narrative sense. I absolutely love that stuff.
3: Me too, man. I mean, I don't play Fortnite, but mm. I have no idea why more um, companies haven't ripped off its approach to live service, because I don't play the game, Mm. but I'm still excited every single time there's a new season with a new event. Like, I wish I was there to battle Galactus, you know? I was watching some of my friends do that and have that experience, or I wish I was there when the map completely changed or Mm. blew up or whatever. Mm -hmm. Those big events that have actual consequence, I think are just incredible at bringing a community together and giving you a, a reason above just the regular grind to Mm. keep returning to these live service games. You know, we talked for months and months before the Avengers dropped in 2020 about how that kind of superhero sandbox would have been perfect Mm. for those moments. Have, you know, a villain drop into a part of the open world and, you know, introduce a story with him with an original narrative and, you know, more interactions and maybe even a few levels and more gadgets and Mm -hmm. weapons and stuff. And it's a reason to jump back in because it's kind of consequential, you know. I think... Call of Duty Warzone could do way more with this idea as well. It's had a few interesting ideas in the past, like when Verdansk, the original Warzone map, got nuked. Right. That was a really cool event. Um, that was, you know, exciting to experience in the moment because it is a once literally a once-in-a-lifetime op- uh, opportunity because that's not going to happen again. Mm. That map has been nuked. It went away. The map might come back, but that event won't. And I right. think, you know, that element of eventizing the live service narrative I don't know why that's not more of a thing because no. at least to me that's the most exciting part of what a live service can offer that a regular game can't
2: totally I think that whole idea of like in the Avengers case like I'm sure it was talked about at some point before the Avengers came out that idea of um, oh hey such and such is loose in the city you better respond now kind of thing and it's like a reason to dive on it's a bit Pokemon go hmm. of like oh this uh, this you know rare creature is like over the road and you should go to this other city and see if you can retrieve it or whatever there's cool things there that you can do in a, in a live space um, for me that idea of uh, coming up what would you do for a completely like unique uh, new real time storyline for me it's all about like alien invasion stuff um, I love the, I would in Helldivers have Predator drop into that one of those Ooh. planets don't tell the community what it is um, you have him drop in it would have you one of the nighttime missions one of the automaton missions you wipe out the, the squads the way that game's AI works is you have different patrols of enemies around the open world anyway but then you see something in the trees you see something that is optic camo you hear it and he goes that the predator click noise. Yeah. Are we being hunted right now? And uh, and you have players all tell each other because one of the coolest things in gaming history is when um elite is elite dangerous who did the alien invasion and only one player got invaded and right. their ship it was a first person game they're in their ship they're flying around it's a space game like No Man's Sky and their ship suddenly went off out of power which isn't a thing that happens in that game as far as I know yeah um all the lights went off they didn't know what was going on and this giant alien ship just came over the top of them like the start of Star Wars oh that's so sick unbelievable um and they. Had I had to just go online and be like what the hell is this what's going on and they were the only person who saw it as far as that got reported I didn't play Elite Dangerous myself but the point is the same like you can do so many cool things like that and things spread like wildfire online like you know look at the Willy Wonka thing right now yeah. and it's like if one person experiences something they can catch, capture it they can put it online um, I just for me it's it's all about sort of um, the surprise yeah. and the buzz and the oh my god is that in my game like uh, I bet I should have a look and, and whatever and then contributing to that overall sort of um, completion state of like well I'm going to go and hunt the predator He's somewhere on this planet. Um, Let's get the boys together and see if we can go hunt this thing.
3: No, I love that, man. I love that idea. I think anything like that, that retains an element of mystery and surprise. I think surprise of any kind is so rare in the Mm. video game space these days. Usually when you get a game, you kind of know exactly what it's going to be, even if you haven't played it. Mm -hmm. You know, there might be some narrative twists, of course, but you kind of know what what is possible and what isn't. Someone's data mined the
2: files and ruined it again. (laughs) Literally, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs)
3: All of that information is already out. Um, So to have a live service, I think, allows you to sneakily implement stuff like that Mm -hmm. uh, in a really interesting way that kind of rallies the community. Again, I don't play much Call of Duty Zombies and was never really into that community, but I I loved what those games did with Easter eggs, Mm. you know, requiring... The community to, to requiring the community to work together to solve this larger mystery mm. and figure out all of the different puzzles and investigate the clues and stuff. Anything that kind of rallies people in a in a more meta way than just oh we can go back and grind some more loot. I think is you know um, really fulfilling the potential of what games is an art form and medium can be.
2: Yeah, man, it's it's like reintroducing elements of narrative and storytelling and creativity to something that is quite a a boring online framework. Like, here's your dailies, here's your weeklies, go grind them out. Aren't you having fun yet? Like, it's such a boring corporate way of approaching a set of systems that could be so much more fun. Um, Question from Tarnished Yaz, who says, you awesome dudes with physical media slowly dying. What has been your oddest game purchase? Mine has to be Metal Gear Solid 4, which I bought on sale, but I hadn't bought the PS3 yet. I I used it as an incentive uh, to do overtime to buy the console. Hope you both have a... Fantasy, a Final Fantasy style week. Um, I've put this in here because you collect way more old school stuff than I do. Like I have my old school game collection, but yeah. it's rare that I have like um, that's all emulate, emulation. Whereas you have your PS2 still hooked up and everything. Yeah, I buy a load
3: of old crap all yeah. the time, man. It, like much to the chagrin of the space that's left in my flat. <laughs> I've got I've got a load of old crap, Scott. I've got a load of old odd games that I uh-huh. think will be perfect for this. I've got GI Jockey on the um, PlayStation Two. Is that way? a G1 Jockey? G1 Jeff. <laughs> GI jockey, imagine that! Oh, I've just got a great million-dollar pitch there. Why does that not exist? GI jockey, horses with guns, Josh. Listen, he's a jockey, but he's also a <laughs> <Yeah>. GI.
0: <laughs> but, that writes itself.
3: That's, well, that's the most perfect. Why like, it's an odd, odd purchase because I don't like horse racing. <laughs> it was only when I was little because my dad bet on it, but um, it's not for me. So I've just got that. In the why house. have you got it? Why? How would you get that? I don't know, man. I was just—I've got that. I've got pop idol. I just like why? I don't know because I think it would be funny. I think, wouldn't it be funny to play these games and then never get them some I get gifted I got pop idol it pictures. is funny um, you could have just said you owned that and I would funny. have laughed anyway you should have You should have. I know I could have just lied couldn't I um, yeah. you play have Boys seen Mansion. this firsthand of me going into a shop seeing something and just thinking I need that now yeah. like when I bought Fear Effect on Playstation 1 not even knowing what that is
2: you were like a Mancurian candidate you sort of like sprung up and faced it and pointed at
3: it and I'm getting that yeah it's like I've been activated yeah. by something I'm like oh I must buy it I'm the brain chip i think it's because i am a big believer of do judge a book by its cover not with people but in terms of media like that's the way i buy books that's the way i buy games (laughs) i mean how many games have i just bought by looking at the cover for them on the recently announced uh, recently released uh, playstation store or Mm -hmm. whatever so i do that a lot so yeah i think g1 (laughs) jockey pop idol and i'm currently eyeing up uh, not Resident Evil, Silent Hill Downpour. Yes. And the only reason I haven't bought that yet is because it's 45 quid secondhand. Ridiculous. Get Tekken 8 for the love of God. Nah, man. Oh. What about Silent Hill Downpour, though? What about Silent Hill Downpour? You know what's really annoying? Yes, this. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> when I got the um, PlayStation 1 back last yes. year... The games that I went out to buy were Star Wars The Phantom Menace uh, and (laughs) Tomb Raider 3, and then I got Fear Effect. And what happened, Scott Tailford? A year later, The Phantom Menace and Tomb Raider 1, 2, and 3 were added to the PlayStation 5 anyway, so I'm like, cool, thanks. Such as
2: the curse of the retro collector. Uh, I can throw in, because I like, I've got my N64 that I got for my 30th, and I love getting random 90s games that like, just for the sake of going back to that time period, so I got um, uh, Rogue Squadron, the Star Wars game that was on N64, I got FIFA 98, so oh, I was wow. like, that'd be funny to go back to an old school football game, um, and I got another one, which I'm forgetting the name of, but I, I get them, if they're like five pounds, two pounds, three pounds, in a CEX, a pre-owned place, yeah. just for an afternoon, just just for a little dabble, um, alongside the majority of my old school stuff being on Steam Deck or my phone or whatever. Like I like a I like a good emulated library. Yeah. I love the way Nintendo do it because it's just here's a launcher with like a ton of a whole platform there. Um, but N sixty four stuff, I'll I'll mind the
3: the ridiculous like archives of stuff that was released in the nineties. It's nice having a collection, I think. Yeah, with, um, older games especially, and just being able to go back to them because I think you know there are so many odd games that release now, but most of them kind of come out on Steam. Yeah. Now. On don't game yeah. on PC. So I, I miss a lot of those weird uh, indie titles that release. So mm-hmm. I have to go back to like the PS2 era to get those strange games <laughs> that you just can't believe exist. Like the Sopranos road to respect, which was absolutely, <laughs> um, it was something. It was certainly something. It provided me with an excellent day off. I remember playing <laughs> through that entire thing, you know, games <laughs> like that where you just think, what is this? Yeah. Like, why did this come out in it? I like investigating, though.
2: I remember, um, shout out to Mike Bithell and the Play Watch Listen podcast, but he said that nine times out of 10 when those things existed, they're just promotional materials. They had some money left over in the budget to greenlight something um, on a game level and the the average game budget... um price was so much lower back then that you might as well do a game tie-in, yeah. And um, which is why all those games were so crunched to death when they were being made. They're so terribly polished. Um, the, the game movie tie-in had such a bad name for so long, unless it was Toy Story 2, because they just didn't have the polish whatsoever <laughs>
3: or the time to bring it together. Um, have you ever done what this question suggests mm-hmm. in buying a game mm-hmm. when you either don't have a console or maybe you don't have the time to play it yet, but just so you kind of have it so it's so it's there uh, when, when you can eventually get it?
2: I only it ever it. did that with um Skyrim in 2011 because I was doing my dissertation right. so I bought Skyrim I, I left it in the cellophane wrapping and I put it on the end of my table so I had to look at it and I was <laughs> like I will have to get through I made a marker of like 5,000, 6,000 words and then I'll play it um, and I, br- I broke that rule I only got <laughs> I only got a few thousand words in where I was, it was like lunchtime and I was like ah, I can play a little bit of it I can do the intro it's fine um, and everything all worked out or but I, I only have done that once and it was like a weird double-edged sword thing where I was mm. like trying to brain F myself into thinking I could force work and then had that be the reward. It was a whole thing. Um, question from the luckiest gunner who says, is auteurship a hindrance for games as a whole? I have immense respect for creatives like Sakurai and Kojima, but at some point it feels like we get announcements for 10 plus Kojima projects that won't come out for half a decade just so they can have his name attached.
3: I love this question. And Same. I think it actually links with the discussion that should be up on the channel, uh, the YouTube channel by the Maybe. time this goes live about just the state of AAA games. Mm. Now, mm. I, I can totally see the perspective of being frustrating to see someone like Kojima announce all of these projects and know that they're not going to come for years and years and years. I guess I think I value authorship in this medium in particular, because I would maybe argue that those games, even though we have to wait for them, probably wouldn't be greenlit if they were from Mm, someone else. You Mm -hmm. know, I think there are so few authors in the industry, kind of because the industry, well, one, it's, it's 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 so collaborative, but two, I think executives want studios to be known as studios rather than individuals. But that does mean that when an author comes along, like a Hideo Kojima, there's a lot of clout and there's a lot of power that comes with that position mm. to, I think, green light games that otherwise wouldn't see the light of day. Like, I don't think um, a Microsoft or a Sony without the Kojima name um, would have made something like Death Stranding, the way it was, its edges would have been sanded down, it would have been way more mainstream, probably would have had way more combat in it, Mm. it wouldn't have been the same game, you know, so I I value authorship in that way, I do Mm -hmm. think there's a reality where it goes too far and someone gets too much credit, you know, when games are just so collaborative, but I think they are important because they're the people, I think, who can fight back, for lack of a better term, against the... Money men and the businessmen who want to only make certain games that will hit X amount of profits.
2: Yeah, man, that's perfectly put. Like, the more that fight back is a really key part of it. The whole idea that um, was it either Jason West or Vince Sampella, the Respawn guy? Yes, but yeah. Which, which, Either of those dudes who like they formed Respawn, but one of them like st- stuck around and sort of seemed to help shape the uh, the Jedi Fallen Order and Jedi Survivor games. Yeah, I think that's um, Vince Vinzampella, yeah. And um, but that that idea of having the creative vision that is uh, is bulletproof, is ironclad, can be the thing that you like you said fight back against the corporates with. Um, look at the making of Anthem and how like the the key creatives left during that game's production. Um, and if you don't have those people at the the top, let's say, or the people at the forefront, the tip of the spear, to be able to say no. We can't put X monetization option in here. We can't drag such and such thing out because we're aiming for this. Then um, that's an important thing. I always think it's fascinating the idea of the individual creator or the individual authority because like this is going to be such a weird comparison, but like governments and parliaments and like um, leadership in general, it always goes down to one person, like mm. a Biden or a Rishi Sunak. I couldn't even think of we had as our do-thrower. <laughs> but um, the it's idea too many I know. <laughs> the idea that one person can do everything, right. I think there's a human toll to that depending on the scale of the job, where oh, like yeah. all of a sudden they actually can't get to everything. There's so many emails you can answer in a day, so many conversations you can have in a day. Um, and I think that at some point for certain scales of production, certain scales of um, jobs and outputs and turnarounds, you probably need a team um, who are all as well equipped as each other, which is interesting um, to bring it back to gaming with like Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, where it's the same core people who did the original Final Fantasy VII and then Remake, yeah. um, where they've been getting out there saying that the majority of the staff were kept on for Rebirth. They wanted to keep going. Um, and you can feel that. Rebirth feels like a direct continuation of of a remake in the vast majority um but yeah that whole idea of like authorship, like that used to be it's a double-edged sword where like like you said it it ends up coming across like a team uncelebrated as much as the person and so many coders writers everything else art departments don't get um the recognition because it's well it's a Hideo Kojima game Kojima made all that yeah it's like nah he he did like he Kojima is actually a bit more of a um Uh, a special case because he does get stuck in he edits the trailers he does like dip into each art department and things but most people um, it's a team effort
3: yeah absolutely I mean yeah I definitely don't want to underplay that even if you do have someone um, you know directing the entire project you've got sub directors you've Mm. got um, executive producers you've got all these people who have their like major input on games and that I think is something to be championed for Mm -hmm. sure I just think with the way the Industry and not even just the gaming industry, but the media industry, is made up right now. I still think, for whatever reasons, executives do still, well, some of them value the power that comes with an author.
1: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
0: Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully.
1: You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, think of the movie space and
3: the bidding war over Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer when he moved away from WB. Like, Universal, I know it seems like an obvious thing now, but they spent way more than they should have in terms of (laughs) what the market was um, telling them at the time for what Chris Nolan was going to give them, like Mm. a $100 million R-rated historical drama (laughs) that's three hours long and partly in black and white. Like, that shouldn't have worked. No, It did because, you know, Nolan's able to bring the clout that he has the respect that he has the audience he has and kind of make something that would usually be a niche product in anyone else's hands a billion dollar success and Mm -hmm. justify that and i think that i i like that we have those creatives that still have that power and i don't want to see that go away completely in the gaming space even though i do think we need to be mindful about like um games as a product being a team effort.
2: Yeah, the team effort side of it and the human cost side of it. That's why I mentioned individual, like, it's not like Joe Biden isn't struggling, for example, someone like
3: that. Well, we talked in the WB podcast about James Gunn um, yeah, yeah, in his power over W, uh, WB and DC, you know, overseeing games, overseeing um movies, overseeing TV shows, mm. and it's like he the book stops with him. I know he's got David Zaslav above him, but mm. he's the creative lead, and that's a lot for one dude to take. Well, on, I mean, you know? you've, you've literally
2: got um, Neil Druckmann and Corey Barlog of Naughty Dog and uh, Stony Santa Monica fame, or Last of Us and God of War fame, saying they're pretty burnt out. Like Neil Druckmann's saying, I don't know how many more of these I've got in me at this yeah, point. That was perfect. also why, you know, Bruce Straley left Naughty Dog yeah. after doing um, Uncharted 2 straight into Last of Us into Uncharted 4 and then just being like, I need to step away from this. Like they're they're way too big a project. Like, yeah, absolutely. Seven, eight years for one thing. And like
3: I, That is what worries me because they are huge projects. The toll is exceptional, not just on them, but obviously Mm. everyone in the bloody studio and everything that's going on right now. Mm. But yeah, I I worry that this industry just, it doesn't support workers generally, but that's just going to drive those key creatives and those auteurs out of the industry. Like I look at Neil Druckmann and I see the games that he's made and I love them, but him saying, you know, the toll is too much. I've only got a few left in me. He's now got avenues to go into um, television if he wants to. He's got that caliber um, in terms of, you know, writing The Last of Us TV show, being a core um, executive producer on mm-hmm. that, a like, core showrunner, he's got that caliber now. Maybe he's looking at other industries and going, well, I can still be creatively fulfilled and the industry is more welcoming to creatives, it's fairer to creatives. It's not yeah. perfect by any means. Of course it's not, but like compared to the toll that games take, it's it's probably his, um
2: because I'll shout out his interview with Logic. Um I didn't even know who Logic was, but some some rapper, some raps man. And he's done a he's got a podcast. I apparently he's a deal. And um he's done a really good interview with Neil Druckmann he's a really good interviewer and um Druckmann talked about um the crux with this thing was a scale thing. And um, when he was asked that question it was like not too many at this level. And right. um, so I think he might end up I mean, he could do the classic thing of like you form another studio like you know that seems to be the the response to all the AAA stuff at the minute is you have lots of key creatives taking the money they have the investment grants whatever it is um and forming a smaller side studio that's what some ex-bioware devs have done that's why we're getting exodus yeah um because it's what they couldn't do under ea i
3: thought it was really interesting in the naughty dog grounded 2 documentary where they were also talking about like the mistakes they've made as a company and one of them was promoting creatives um, to the position of manager and they were saying like it makes sense for um you know like those people who were doing really well on a story front or a programming front to be promoted but mm. why is promotion? people managing and not the creative side so they were talking about how they introduce two different roles like mm. you've got people who will um you know become managers and manage the floor and manage people's workflow and stuff mm. and the creatives can get promoted into other roles where they keep being creative they've just got a bit more control they've got a bit more power probably got a bit more salary And i think mm. that's important because not everyone and i'm speaking for myself at this point, not everyone's aspiration is to just climb the corporate ladder yeah, and same. get more money and become a manager. Like the fact that our society is kind of built around that template is weird to me especially that that carries over to creative industries so 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 much money is in the creative vision is in actually bringing the thing to life yeah like like, and i think that's is what's kind of pushing some people to go and create smaller studios where they kind of have that creativity back because it must i mean again from experience like the further up the ladder you get the more responsibilities you have from management and corporate Mm -hmm. in like does a creative want to spend all of their time you know, talking about spreadsheets and talking about, like, keeping the budget. No, and, they don't, and Josh Brown. Uh, it Scott, sucks, Josh Scott has given me a very knowing look over there, himself <laughs> recently having a promotion, and I don't mean to uh, single you out or anything. I'm no, certainly man. just talking about it generally, um, but I think that is, I mean, like I said, it's something I, I reckon with. I'm like, what am I going to do next? Because yeah. if I keep climbing the corporate ladder, eventually I'll probably have to be a manager, but I don't want to do that. So is would it be better to, you know, just kind of stay where I am and I'm, I'm personally fine with it. That. but that's
2: the thing it's like why well, can't more money get put into the, the creation yeah. roles like it shouldn't have to be management based yeah I did those reactions because um, yeah that's the the life that I have with a, a foot in both sides I refuse to let go of the creative side but I also took on all the management stuff so I just do everything and yeah. burn myself out but you certainly do. as it is um, however that whole reality of a creative person going up the ladder and having to be more responsible for stuff is the thing that burned out Jeff Gersman over a giant bomb or at least what he's talked about why yeah. they were sort of so up for getting away from that machine after so long, Giant Bomb being one of the at least to me, one of the most important video game websites and uh, outlets of all time like, um, but that's what happened to him, You also had um, the Double Fine documentary about how they made Second uh, Psychonauts 2 and I forget the name of the exact program I think it's Ralph someone um, who was an artist right? and um, they talk about because that documentary is like a 20 part thing they go into every facet of making a game I can't recommend it enough but there's one bit in that where the team got so big and they hired some more people that that artist then had to be a manager and he's literally saying like well it kind of sucks because I don't get to draw and do stuff anymore Yeah. but that's the way that it is and it's like now I just sit and I watch other people do the fun things yeah, and it's yeah, like right? no that
3: sucks that's, that's- that absolutely sucks absolutely I mean just even outside of that kind of big structure imagine having those arguments and those fights every day with executives who don't care about video games as an art, only care about shareholders in the bottom line, and you're their first point of contact because you're in charge of the game. Like, all you want to do is, you know, make a great piece of art and probably make some money alongside it, right? Yeah. But you can't do that because your entire bandwidth, again, been loving that word recently, (laughs) is taken up by these meetings with the people at the very top who are saying, what if we don't have a female protagonist? What if we (laughs) get all of these microtransactions in there? What do you think about an in-game store? Can we... Cut this off and mm-hmm. sell it later. Every single is, day.
2: I would. I am fascinated by that in a in a game space because you can see like not everyone's going to think the same way. Like not everyone's going to be a creative. It, it's fine. Yeah. There, there needs there are there are places for everybody. It's just that that whole idea of. Um, like numerically calculating fun, numerically calculating an aspect of being worthwhile. Those are fascinating conversations. And, they, and all those people are doing in theory, unless they overstep, is looking at metrics, looking at things that are previously not done well, looking at things that yeah. might do well and suggesting it in theory in a nice way. And then trying to bring those things together is you know the miracle of video games or the miracle of being able to create something at a yeah. certain production level. But I do think that um, you feel those boundaries be overstepped. If it was a Venn diagram between the creative and the business, you feel the business circle encroach way more of the creative on certain projects like Suicide Squad um, or like the last few years of a lot of the upper echelon of gaming like you can just see those corporate decisions you can feel them when you play certain titles um, and something like a Helldivers 2 is a, is creative going back over on the, the yes. business side that game's microtransactions are fundamentally cosmetic you can get some weapons but they don't necessarily give you they don't really do anything other than just they look a bit better so it's like I think there's a good push and pull there and I don't want to be um, negligent of the reality of people who do the business side because it is important yes but I just um, I'm fundamentally creative so like it just it is a thing where it's a, a multifaceted reality
0: no
3: you're absolutely right i think with your venn diagram comparison i
2: love a venn diagram there,
3: yeah and when you when you're talking about i'm that forever in the middle kind of, of one. In, <laughs> in that air sort of business side kind of encroaching like yes. obviously they need to work in synced you 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 need people for distribution for marketing and you know, all of that stuff mm-hmm. to make sure a game uh, you know, is on time. You need producers, all of that stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I just I look at the executives who are in charge right now, and again, I have no um, evidence to prove this. But take Bobby Kotick, for instance. I don't believe, right, genuinely, mm. that that man has ever played a video game. Like, I just don't. <laughs> I, I can't see it. Can you I picture think, it, right? Well,
2: didn't he? I don't know enough about him. Didn't he come in though on a really low? Like, didn't he come in as like an intern or a, or a coder or something? The very, very beginning.
3: If he did do that, I don't think he's played a video game since 1983. <laughs> I don't think he's played any of like Activision's most no. recent output for more than ten minutes. Even that, I think, is being generous. Mm. I just what I mean by that is like, if if you have creatives that are, if you have executives that are interested in video game as an art form, mm. I think that's obviously fine. I just don't think we have many of those right now. No. Um, you, you, there are, of course, some that exist, but. I just it's the same in movies where I look at something like David Zaslav and I think like do you care about films do you care about no, television he, no they like, don't no you, you care about being a CEO right?
2: yes which was that well, was the Jim Ryan Playstation era like you can tell when like he did that recent interview which um Secret Symbols Colin Moriarty talked about like they highlighted it when he asked they, he's asked what his favourite games are and he just cites like GTA 3 was a big, it was a big deal for the industry and it's right, just like it's yeah. all these sort of like quite simple ways of referring to games as opposed to oh I love this mission I love the way this thing played there's a, there's a direct comparison in Sony's case between the way Sean Layden talked Yes. and cites Vib Ribbon versus Jim Ryan and saying that the original Gran Turismo looks terrible.
3: Even, um, you know, Phil Spencer, like, I, he's he's on my crap list at this moment in time for Phil the Spender. way um, Xbox has been running, all of the layoffs over mm. the past few months. But previously, I would champion him for being a gamer. Like, yeah. you can tell when he's on the stage that he at least... If he doesn't care about games, he does a good job um, convincing people yes. that he cares about games, you know, in the same way that Sean Layden did. And yeah, you don't really, you never got that from Jim Ryan, who would say things like that and also say things like, nobody wants to play all Gran Turismo. <laughs> I do, Jim. I do. Put it on like an archive, box, Please. Yeah
2: give us a monthly PlayStation archive and we'll cough up the money for it I'll find the money for that <laughs> um, question from Oversoul Gaming now this is a spoiler in regards to the original Final Fantasy 7 however it is the big plot point that everybody quote unquote already knows Even and, was on the, and you already know and it was on the front page of the Washington Times that's how much of a big deal this thing is however if you don't want to know anything um, I would uh, you know, I would say jump forward a few minutes um, but question from Oversoul Gaming who says with Final Fantasy 7 rebirth canonically taking place in a new timeline because I guess the party broke the shackles of fate at the end of remake do you think the infamous? death scene from the OG game is going to be kept the same, changed or a little altered, but mostly the same. Perhaps a cliffhanger. I want to see where you are on this, because me and you have never talked about this.
3: And we haven't, really. um, I... This death being Aerith, by the way. Yes, of course. I don't well, I've not played the original game, but I obviously mm. I know the scene. I've seen the scene. I know its importance in mm-hmm. gaming history. Um so I don't have much skin in the game, so I don't really mind what they do with it. I don't think it'll be sacrilegious if they took it away. That said, I do want to see it still happen, but it probably will happen within a different context mm. entirely, I mm-hmm. think. They'll they'll definitely just spit on it. It won't be seen for seen, or if it is seen for seen, it'll have a different importance. Mm. I think, you know, we saw it with with deaths that happened in the original game happening different or not at all to what happened in the remake Mm -hmm. and yeah i think that you know it's probably gonna be a scene that sparks a million articles and a million (laughs) think pieces and a million video essays Mm -hmm. and i'm looking forward to that because there's so much anticipation around it how is it going to happen is it going to happen that it's perhaps the game's biggest talking point. Yeah,
2: do you? I guess yeah. Like the the idea of like remixing stuff. I'll not be specific at all. I've only played Rebirth for about five hours, um, but in those five hours, they've already done some specific, some really big, bold things that weren't in the marketing. There were there were shreds of the specific scenes I'm talking about in the marketing, but their full context wasn't there. And the way this game opens, me and Sai were both messaging each other last night, just going like, "Oh my god, what?" Right. Like right. The, the first five minutes is is very fun. Um, and that's something that they've barely shown, if at all, really. Um, and so there are things in here that are, um, that alludes to a level of confidence I hope they have throughout. Yes, because where I am, five hours in, it's a bloated open world Ubisoft thing, and I'm the open world stuff is like <laughs> grinding me the hell down. Um, but I'm there for all the story stuff, and what it is one of the most iconic scenes in gaming history. It does get referred to as the sort of um, the Luke, I you know, uh, No, I'm your father from Star Wars. Yeah, um, of gaming, and uh, and it is the thing that's propelling me through the story. Like, I don't care about the bloated open world stuff. I care about the characters. I care about what you're doing with this canon. Um, And I'm curious what, just what the hell they're doing. Yeah.
3: You know, a part of me, you know, you know when we saw Zack at the end of Final Fantasy 7 Remake and he Was alive, and Mm -hmm. that was a huge surprise, even to someone like me who hasn't played Final Fantasy VII but knows the story, knows how things are, Mm. quote unquote, supposed to go. You know bits and pieces. I know bits and pieces about certain characters. That's about it, right? I Um, can't
2: wait for you to know the full story. It's going to be awesome.
3: Unless they change it. Well, that's it, right? But like when that Zach thing happened and you kind of saw him, and it was like, oh, they are doing things different. Like things are. This is not your daddy's Final (laughs) Fantasy VII. I almost. I don't. I got such a pop from that, but I wonder how. It would have landed if they saved that big, everything's different. Reveal for Aerith not dying in game two. Mm. And then suddenly for game three, everything has changed. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wonder if they dragged that out a little bit more until that moment. Would it have been more impactful? Because now I have expectations that things are different and that I is think, also cool but yeah. um, I, I, I think both are really interesting
2: it's so far, they, they, we, so we talked so much about um, AAA design, the, the amount of money in the industry the idea of auteurship and everything this feels like and it's so rare to have something be this big with this much money on it that entire I would argue an entire company is hanging on this thing because of how much mm. money Final Fantasy 7 makes and how fa- Final Fantasy 7 remake bailed Square Enix out of the dip they were in after losing all the money on the Avengers that it still feels curated and authored and authored as well and um, um, and I'm 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 loving being along for the ride. I think I go I wax and wane on how much I actually think they're going to pull off the execution because there are certain thematic cores to Final Fantasy 7, certain beats of that story that arguably need to come through unless you want to tell a completely different story but then why even do this if you're not going to get it back around to where the game ends up at the end of the OG and so like I'm just curious Like, every time some of these big things happen like the end of remake from 2020 where we're fighting time and fate and destiny itself yeah. to justify our own existence which metatextually works as the remake justifying itself you have the whispers all that kind of stuff by the time we get to Rebirth um, I'll not do specifics at all. That is not mentioned, at least where how far I am. Mm. That's not mentioned at all, that we fought in the sky and we fought <laughs> destiny and we punched time in the face. Nothing at all. Um, but I have to hope that it all will mean something by the end. Um, and there is that creative through line coming through and it is the original creatives. I keep going back to that yeah. where I'm like, these are the original people, the original scenario writer, the original director, an artist and everything. What are you, what are you guys trying to do with this? Um, and uh, I, I'm terrified, to be honest. <laughs> Because I just, I love the original so much. And it doesn't take away from that. The original yeah. isn't going anywhere. They're not delisting it. But there's something about the originals coming back and then going again. And I keep going back to um, when they announced this in 2017 or 2016 at E3. And they said, um, you know, going forward, it was the, the voiceover, which I think is actually Red 13's voice actor. Right. Um, but anyway, um, saying, you know, the the unknown journey is going to happen. It may bring fear. It may bring joy. But let us embrace what it brings. And I'm like, Okay. This is some weird, like, tenet stuff with Nolan where he's like, I can't fully explain it, but I want you to go along for the ride. Yeah. And I just hope that it's all worth it by the end.
3: As a lover of Final Fantasy Seven, would you not prefer that this is its own thing that complements and is separate from Final Fantasy Seven? Because I, for me... I do if, overall, yeah. If, if FF7 was just kind of remade with modern mechanics and a modern engine and it was kind of beat for beat, like, that would, of course, be a... a a project worthy of hype but (laughs) if you were going to spread it out over three games for me personally as like an outsider Mm. the story probably would have been enough to get me through but it wouldn't have been on the level of hype that it is now knowing that things are changing and no no like unknown element to it it's it's you know resident evil 4 did it to a lesser extent but the the way that plays with your knowledge of the original, I just think is a fascinating way to do a remake mm. um, in, in a world where we have so many ports and remasters already. It's mm-hmm. just, that is always, especially when the original creators are on board, like you yes. said, or some of the original creators, that is, to me, it's fascinating to see that play out on a big scale because it does make it this big talking point and it makes it bigger, I think, than what a Final Fantasy VII straight remake would have been. Totally. That would have been huge, but this feels like on another level
2: now Oh, totally. Like the um, the the being terrified is genuine, being excited is genuine. Like it's everything. Um, I won't know till we get to the end of the third part um, or at least what happens at the end of this one. I'll tell you what it reminds me of though, um, which is a bygone MCU energy. It reminds mm-hmm. me of when you had Kevin Feige being out there, you had the Russos getting out there and, and everything felt curated. You felt quite safe going along for that. Right? I can't wait to see what they do next. Oh my God, this train let's mine that trailer in a, and then they were wise to that and they shot things differently or they put a special effect in the trailer that it, it alluded to something else they removed a character from a scene yeah. to throw you off the beginning of Rebirth is pure MCU payoff energy where you're there at midnight and you're watching it going like oh my god that's what that scene was oh my yes. god that like that's really fun um, and you can argue it's outdated you can argue it's from a different decade which it is um, but there is a fun there there's a fun audience ride thrill to that that I never expected Final Fantasy 7 remake to do at all but they are doing it very well. They do have us talking and they have managed to tick a box where it works for newcomers and veterans. It's just also terrifying because (laughs) you're playing with, it's the equilibrium thing. You're treading on my dreams. You're like doing this thing where you're picking and prodding and pulling it apart. And the last time they did that was the 10th year anniversary with Advent Children, Dirge of Cerberus and Crisis Core and argue, well, I like Advent Children a lot, but Dirge of Cerberus and Crisis Core are below the bar, I would say considerably, especially with Dirge of Cerberus and a lot of Crisis Core. Um, but still, that whole idea of like you went back to this beautiful little thing that you never intended to be this global dominating thing. Yeah, it's like if you give it another twenty years, someone goes back to PAL world and they pick it all apart. Like I just, you've got to do it right.
3: I, you do, but I think, <laughs> I think the video game industry needs more of that terror. It totally created. does. Like, it totally you know, does. You know, we again going back to. What I'm not saying I've, don't do it. Sorry. Oh no, yeah. no, of course not. Of mm. course not. Uh, I know, like you, like they said, it's it's an exciting, ride yeah, to be yeah, on, right? yeah, right. Like I want more games to have. That sense of excitement, that sense of unknown, that sense of terror, um, and that sense of consequence. I think that's really important to me when I'm talking about story games. Mm. Like I want things to matter, I want things to feel big. What I'm gonna mention The Last of Us Part Two, because I always mention The Last of Us Part Two <laughs> on every single podcast that I possibly can. <laughs> but you know, if love 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 that game, hate that game, fall somewhere in the middle, we'll be talking about that game for the next 10, 20 years. You know, Mm. we'll be picking apart those plot points. Should they have done that? Should they have done this? It was that right. How does that impact the original? And I think that those games are worthy of having. Um, It means that it's something that I can love. It's something that you can think didn't really need to exist mm. and I like that with Final Fantasy 7 that it is taking those big swings and is getting everyone talking both fans and non-fans about the consequences of the last game. Mm-hmm. They've also as well it's it's like they've
2: it's a Herculean feat what they've pulled off not only from the budgeting and finance side of it and the reality of you know you had specific people like Tetsuya Nomura saying if we don't do this now we're gonna die yeah. where old people were getting older Nobu Yamatsu legendary composer godfather of video game music literally said he hasn't got more in him he's too old and he's like It's too much of a mental, physical toll. I can't keep composing. Um, I only have a few more things left. So that it is, you know, that, such an exquisitely specific thing to get right. And they've also in there managed to remind people to play the original. You, It works better for you if you play the original and then play these remakes. Like yes. you're you're better served having that wider context because they're playing with all those expectations.
3: Yep, yeah, fully agree. You know, we live in an era where remasters and remakes are sometimes made to invalidate the original and replace mm. the original. That's why I love stuff like Final Fantasy VII and Resident Evil 4 because you get even more out of those games if you are knowledgeable or you have experience with those original titles. Mm -hmm. You you know when they're talking to each other. Like George Lucas would say, it's like... It rhymes, Scottsdale, <laughs> but it's like poetry. They both, he always comes back as well. He always certainly does. They <laughs> intersect with each other in an amazing way that allows both to exist and both to remain as mm-hmm. iconic as ever.
2: Josh Brown, we have time for one more question, but we will be kicked out of the studio in about seven minutes. So, last question from Ben Jammer, who says, "How would you define an RPG in 2024?" Oh, not a big one then. No. Big... <laughs> so many games have incorporated RPG-like mechanics over the years, such as XP, open worlds, and loot systems, that the lines have blurred with action-adventure games. I would consider a true RPG to have organic elements for the player to discover.
3: Yeah, I think the RPG label got watered down in about 2008 or 9 <laughs> with the release <laughs> of Borderlands. I remember right. people describing that as an... That was the first time I heard the word action RPG. Right, And that was so different from what I associated with RPGs at the time. And mm. I think as we get into an almost postmodern era with games genres are just appropriated so much across the board that everything is a little bit of everything else. You know, something has RPG elements. Something has, um, you know, story-based elements, live service elements, multiplayer elements. But now, to me, like, a true RPG is still something like a Baldur's Gate or a CD Projekt Red game or a Bethesda game. It's something that is... It doesn't necessarily have to be exclusively single-player, but it has that um, sense of authorship over the world from a player's perspective alongside a wealth of interesting characters and deep mechanics and uh, a chunky story to get involved with.
2: Yeah, I think it has to be fundamentally character-based. You have to be building your character with some sort of stat regimen. There are mechanics that are based around building your character up, unlocking abilities, um, and some sort of... it has to. Some sort of like thematic unison between the way you're building your character and the world itself, like some sort of compact like you're exploring for a reason, you're getting better over time, um, and you have that almost monomyth backbone of the story itself. It's a grand sweeping thing. It's not a small scale story. I can't think of that many small scale single location RPGs. Mm-hmm. There, um, it tends to nearly always be a bigger thing. I don't think it's a prerequisite necessarily, but it t- it's- historically, it's always been a big thing. And I think I always I love JRPGs. I love the tenets that make up JRPGs, whether it be party systems, different stylistic elements, or whatever. And I love the uh, rise of Western RPGs, the Bioware's, the Bethesda's, um, you know, like they celebrate all of it. But I think there's something about going on a grand adventure that makes me think of the, um, I'm forgetting the dude's name who wrote about the monomyth. Yeah. Um, Joseph someone. The, um, that idea of all these big swooping stories fall into certain templates and some of the mm. best stories ever written, your Star Wars's, your MCUs, you tick those boxes. And I think there's a lot of like, there's a lot of um, monomyth DNA in RPG. And that it's is like, really interesting. It yeah. has to escalate to a degree.
3: Oh that is interesting. I wouldn't surprisingly wouldn't necessarily agree with. I
2: think it has that. to no. well maybe it does. I just I just can't think of it, I can't think of a small scale RPG. It's like they sort of invokes a level of time character building, time investment like I guess
3: yeah. I guess I would have to know specifically what you mean by scale because I would describe something as uh like Disco Elysium is one of my favorite mm, RPGs. That's ever. a big one. Uh, but would that match your scale criteria? Because to me, that's quite small scale in terms of its its character driven. It's no, about that like one murder. It's set in one city. You mm-hmm. know, um, that's a weird one because it definitely has. That's
2: something where I would say it's that's almost like a text adventure. Like that's like Escape from Monkey Island. Like you're clicking on stuff, you're interacting. Like it doesn't. It's not that it has RPG elements. You are unlocking stats. You're building like the thought processes. You're talking to a lot of characters, dialogue choices, and everything. Yeah. And it is a single location. Um, multiple occasions, but it's not that big. It's what it's one like oh, yeah. city kind of thing. Um, that's the best argument you could give me.
3: That's to me. That's like almost. <laughs> it's funny, man. Yeah, I love this question. Uh, <laughs> to me, that's almost like the mecca of what an RPG is because it's a role. You, if you're literally yeah. like looking at the words role-playing game, I don't. I can't think of anything. Um, in the last twenty years, with the exception of maybe Fallout New Vegas, mm. that gives you as much control over your character and. What you do in that world, mm. um, as Disco Elysium, like um, your main character who's called Harry, mm. um, obviously has a name. He has a defined history, but you can tailor who that guy is. Oh yeah, what yeah. his ideological framework is, how he approaches the day, mm. um, right down to like those granular details and his relationships with people, on such a, a, a astonishing level that mm. I would, yeah, I would. For me, that's like a. Core RPG. That it it I would totally, shout out. yeah, it
2: definitely is in that regard. I mean, the thing is, like, I don't even want to put boundaries up. I think yeah. that it's interesting looking at the history of these labels and when they got applied to certain things. Um, and I have an affinity for what will be classed as the JRPG, whether it's the Final Fantasy, you know, Dragon Quest, Tales, whatever. Um. Disco works for the most part. It's just that for me, the DNA of that is closer to a, a text adventure, like in terms of because that you like you have all the four processes that you're unlocking as Harry, um, which is the distinguishing stat element that would bring it more in line with an RPG. If I'm Venn diagramming, but if I to me like you're playing that character in as much as you're playing like Guybrush Streetwood. like like it's not oh, custom, it's not I customized. Would definitely
3: d- disagree with that. But spending
2: yeah. time with them, exploring one location. Like, I don't know. For me, Disco is more of like a text adventure.
3: I think. Like, if I go back to the history of RPGs, I'd I'd personally say that's more of a, and I don't want to even necessarily use this term, but a true RPG mm. than something like a Bethesda game, just because if you're, I don't know, if I personally would trace the RPG's history, mm-hmm, I'd mm-hmm. end up going back to the original Fallouts, which I do think have way more in common with Disco yeah, and yeah, yeah. um, Starfield, for
2: instance. Well, I mean, the, yeah, the genre itself is going to go back to, like, all those original 90s, late 80s games that were inspired by D&D. Yeah. And, um, like, that whole idea of, like, like... But still, that's, like, specking a character, specking a party, specking, like, attack. The thing, I started thinking about combat when you were describing Disco, and I was like, that idea of, like, RPG combat is a thing, whether it's turn-based or live-action, and Disco doesn't really have any combat. Like, it does have dice rolls and stuff, yeah. though. So, like, whatever. Interesting. But, I think,
3: you know, the only... Um, We have two minutes, Josh Brown. Oh, I'll go go quick. The only limitations I'd put on what isn't an RPG Mm. is if you are saying something is an RPG just because you have skill trees and stats. Like, I don't... I hate when, like, a a first-person shooter is described as an RPG because it just lets you, like, upgrade your guns or something. You know, I think that... (laughs) Sort of stat-based element sometimes takes too much focus. It obviously is important, but I think I think you actually hit the nail on the head where I come down to it. It's uh, it's character focus. Yeah. It's it doesn't have to be a custom character. It can be an entirely author awesome character from the developers, but it is a game that is character focused where you're playing a role whether mm. that's yours or someone else's and you're living in a in a world and that's the primary focus. You can mm. have other things that are important combat, exploration but the characters are the primary focus. I and think you that's feel, how I would define it.
2: Yeah, totally. And like and I the, the, the guybrush comparison was literally I meant like mechanically you're walking around you're talking to people you're like living in in that's that one character for that long kind of thing and the way you move around that world. But no, I would back that. Like it's like that thing over time where it feels like your character is your own. Um, which is why a lot of people didn't like Final Fantasy Sixteen because they couldn't customize Clive that much or the party or whatever. Um yeah, I guess like Western RPGs tend to focus a bit more on individual character fleshing out as opposed to a JRPG party yeah. where it's like you're not necessarily specking Cloud more than anyone else kind of thing.
3: That is true but I think yeah I mean I fully agree with you but even in like those cases it's it's like you know Cl- uh, not cloud. Clive had mm. such strong characterization oh, alongside yeah. the rest of the cast so that focus on character I do think bridges both JRPGs and mm. Western RPGs though if we got into what is a JRPG specifically <laughs> I'm sure we'd go on for another hour and a half so we best wrap it here.
2: One of my favourite conversations but it'll be saved for another time. Thank you to everybody for sending in their various questions, etc. This has been the UBP, the UBP, the UBP. UBP. Yeah. I've been Scott Tilford, that's been Josh Brown. Always
3: a pleasure, Scott Tilford.
2: Always a pleasure to get through another week with you oh, and everyone else sick. listening at home. Take care, have a lovely weekend, and we'll catch you soon. Bye bye. bye.